0: Hello and welcome to the Zapiens Podcast. I'm your host, Lloyd Waits. I'm a physics student at MIT working in particle physics, nuclear medicine, and machine learning. Today I'm going to be interviewing Nobel Prize winner Frank Wilczek, who has not only won his Nobel Prize in asymptotic freedom, but has gone on to investigate the theoretical frameworks of particles like axions and worked with groups that are expanding new technologies like quantum computing. Now, asymptotic freedom, for what he won his Nobel Prize for, is kind of a complicated concept. But it's at the core of understanding how our universe works and why we see things the way that we do in the terms of fundamental particles. Frank is a a really interesting guy, um, and we had a great conversation about our lives, physics, and what we think the direction of the world is going to be in the next few years. So, I hope you enjoy it. Thank you. So uh, thank you very much for coming on today. We're uh, we're super excited to have you. I've i uh-huh. read about asymptotic freedom in, in textbooks, so this is this is really yeah. I'm getting old. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, but so I mean, there's there's a long list of things that that you've worked on, uh, not just asymptotic freedom, which you won the Nobel Prize for. I have a, I have a list of them here, um, including being a PhD, a, uh, a professor at MIT. You're also the founding director of the TD Lee Institute and chief scientist at the Wilczek Quantum Center, um, Shanghai Zhao Tong University, uh, a distinguished professor at Arizona State University, and a full time professor at Stockholm University. Mm-hmm. Um, not only this, but you've worked with the Future of Life Institute with Max Tegmark, <laughs> written letters with Stephen Hawking on the future of AI, yeah. and uh, even worked with the United Nations. So, I um,
1: Really? <laughs> <laughs> there, there was, I, I saw a, an article yeah. about you uh, working well, with... not all those things have equal weight uh, mm-hmm. in terms of how much time I've spent on them. And You didn't even mention that I write a regular column for the Wall Street Journal. Oh, wow. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. So, yeah. A, uh, I, uh, I probably bit off more than I can chew in recent years, mm-hmm. and I haven't been able to spend as much time as I like on all these different aspects. Uh, but it's it's possible to... I, I, I think I've uh, been able to do useful things. I've tried to do the most, uh, how should I say, try to get the most bang for the buck in the time I put into these things. And fortunately, I get enormous amounts of help in, uh, in pursuing... Uh, distinct different things in in all these different uh, forums.
0: Yeah, so um, I mean, I know you say they have a lot of help and you try and get the most most bang for your buck. But how do you decide what's the best way to get that bang for your buck? How do you prioritize all these different? Well, it's a process. (laughs) Every,
1: Every day I have an I I have an agenda every day <laughs> for that day. And then once a week, I revisit the agenda for the week. And once a month, I, re- do, I, do, I do the agenda for the month. And once a year, I do the agenda <laughs> for the year. And sometimes, you know, on long summer walks, I I think about five years and ten years ahead and what I want to be doing. So it's a constant process of, uh, re- of adjusting priorities, seeing what's working, what's not working, you know. So I don't only add things; I sometimes subtract things, <laughs> and, and this uh, the, uh, this this pandemic era has been very uh, significant that way because I'm, I'm really thinking about wh- what 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 the best use of my time going forward is. Mm-hmm. It's, for instance, it's been become clear to me that. Schlepping around the world is not the great use of my time. <laughs> so, so we want to do as much as possible remotely, and uh, and and to, uh, you know, take it easy on on my body, and and also uh, just. Uh, I, th- I think people in general, not only me, but people in general, are reassessing what the importance of. Uh, going to conferences, you know, Mm -hmm. having meetings, all these things that that you've kind of been taken for granted as part of life and really thinking about what's the value added. So,
0: So, I mean, kind of talking about this in in a similar way, uh, a lot of these tasks seems like a lot of administrative tasks and a lot of kind of Uh, meetings and talking to people. uh, Well,
1: I think the only one that of all these things that's really involved a, signif- a lot of administration has been the uh, directorship at uh, at the T.D. Lee Institute. And that's been a, a kind of very special uh, administration because, I mean, it's, you know, you know the word founding director there <laughs> means, <laughs> it means that it's, uh, there are a lot of kind of, policy decisions to be made that could be very important. I think the T.D. Lee Institute has the potential of being uh, a very important resource for the physics community, opening up uh, research uh, research opportunities for a very talented pool of people and a large pool of people and uh, and, uh, an economy that's beginning to be able to support science in a big way and, and seems committed to doing that. Uh, so that, that, that I took on as kind of a service to the physics community and, and for the rest, uh, they really don't, I, just, I get a lot of help and it's, they don't involve a lot of administration. Thank goodness. Uh, the only, the only thing that, uh, I have found burdensome occasionally is uh writing grant proposals, which is new to me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh when I first went to Sweden I had to I had to write a couple of very significant grant proposals to, uh to support myself to make it possible for me to to uh thrive there. But but since then things have really have thrived and now uh Uh, since i'm in that community and involved in projects in the community i can get other people to write the grant
0: proposals (laughs) 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 Um, so with all these different tasks do you still have time to do physics is that something that you're still oh yes well
1: uh it's another it's i've had to change my style in recent years a bit i used to be involved much more in the nitty-gritty detail of the of, of projects. Uh, and I still do that for a subset of projects where, I, where, where they're small and or I think I have a unique uh, input. But uh, in other projects, I've kind of uh, systematically farmed out things that I thought other people could could do to uh, to uh, to make them happen. Uh, so I mean, notably, I mean, we'll get to this later, probably. But notably, uh, starting in Stockholm, we had a new idea for axion detection that seems very promise did seem and uh, very promising, but to really turn that from uh, a, a bright idea into an actual physical <laughs> experiment is—I uh, learned—is a very big job, and and it's been a lot of fun, uh, but very different from anything I've ever done before, because it really involves uh, working with a very large group, also not working <laughs> with uh, with with many aspects of it. And, and usually, when I do. Theoretical projects. Uh, I'm at least aware of all aspects and feel that I understand them. But in in, in this experiment, I certainly don't. I, I have a broad awareness of, but I don't. I wouldn't be able to do it if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Design uh, making antennas and and low noise amplifiers and and metamaterials and so on. And it, it's been fascinating to get a glimpse into that world. And it's and it's marvelous to, to see the process where, where uh, uh, ideas get trans transformed into realities now. And that now, but now, of course, the proof of the pudding will be finding the particle. We'll see about that. But but it's a very exciting process. But I, I really enjoyed uh, that, and I, I wouldn't call it administration. I'd call it, it's it's really. Mm-hmm. So, although it does involve working with people, it it, it, it it's it's has a rich scientific and uh, information content, and, and, but it's also very gratifying at a personal level to see other people taking up ideas and and uh, getting pleasure from them and and, and, um, and working productively. You know. mm-hmm.
0: That's, that's really interesting. Um, so can you tell me a little bit more about axions and kind of make the case? I've, I've at axions <laughs> myself. But, uh, just kind of yeah. I'd kind of like to hear from one of the major people in the fields so What's the strongest case you think for uh, looking for the axion particle?
1: Okay, well, the the uh, so called standard model or core theory has been just enormously successful. No, no clear uh discrepancy has been found from it even though it makes very precise predictions for literally thousands of uh experiments and people have have that people have designed to try to disprove it or push its limits um and uh so it's it's and it's been tested in very extreme conditions. Or now, but but there are a couple of things that uh, that are incompleteness of the theory or uh, aesthetic flaws of the theory that are quite striking when you look at it deeply. So, I mean, so we should look at it deeply. It's close to the last word, I think, in physics. <laughs> uh, and uh, one of the s- striking aesthetic flaws <clears throat> is that. Uh, there's a parameter in the theory, something called the theta parameter, that uh, a priori has a value between minus pi and pi. So it could be any, within the theory, it's just uh, a number in that range. Uh, but experimentally, it turns out to be, well, we we'd haven't seen a deviation from zero, but it's certainly less than 10 to the minus 10. So that would be quite a coincidence <laughs> if, yes. if, if you just pick and have a number with, that's otherwise unconstrained and it happens to be so small. So we, we suspect there's a principle involved. And the number is very, has a very uh, interesting, qualitative meaning. Uh, it Its most striking consequence, if it were not zero, is that it would give a new source of violation of it would give a new source for violation of time reversal symmetry. So this amazing fact that the laws of physics, the basic laws, the microscopic fundamental laws, when you run them if you run them backwards in time, have exactly the same form. So if you took a movie on a micro of a self-contained process. So we're not talking about big things where, where it's complicated because of the second law of thermodynamics and so right. forth, but it's really small things uh, that, where you can actually see the basic equations at work. If you take a movie of it and work it and run it backwards, it looks like a legitimate movie. You can't tell that it's, uh, that it's been run backwards. Almost. <laughs> <laughs> there are some tiny obscure effects in... Uh, in the decays of elementary particles that, that are not quite that way, uh, so it's really annoying explaining why why there, it's not it's not exactly a fundamental principle, but but almost why, uh, and we have a very complete story that would be completed if we could understand why that darn number, that theta parameter, were as as small as it is, that would that would really. Close. A, I mean, that would really tie up a beautiful story <laughs> in physics, where we, we now would understand why time reversal symmetry is almost but not quite uh, uh, realized in nature. So that and, so, and then uh, uh, in the late nineteen seventies, uh, Roberto Peccei and Helen Quinn put forward some ideas that uh, could address this question. Uh, they, they introduced something called Peche-Quinn symmetry, and if you uh, implement this symmetry, then it explains why uh, why this parameter is so small. It could, could explain. Uh, now, that was very important work, but they failed to notice two things. <laughs> that that, that where it's sort of where I come in well I, I mean actually I uh, yeah I, it's a little more complicated but basically because I, I didn't know about their work at first but uh, but but the um, uh, but the two, two two things they didn't notice are first of all that uh, their proposal implies a potentially observable consequence and and a dramatic one it it uh, in, it necessitates the existence of a very light, very weakly interacting particle—a so a, you know, particle with quite novel properties in uh, compared to the particles we know about. And uh, so I, I realized that, and that—that's the axion. I named it the axion. There's a little story with that. I, uh, I had wanted to name something axion, a particle an axion for quite a while. Uh, I guess I was in my early twenties at that time. But but I, uh, when I was in, in college, early, uh, I went shopping with my mother one time and noticed this detergent up on, the, up on the shelves called axion. And I said to myself, if I ever get a chance to name a particle, I'll name it axion. Because it sounds like a particle. It's really nice. It's like you know, it's like pion. <laughs> <laughs> muon axion and it's greek so it's greek it's ion, and and uh, and, and uh, so then when when it turned out that this part this particle is connected to an axial symmetry it turns out that that really so the stars were aligned and I got had a chance to to, to name something axion uh and it also cleans up a problem. So, so, so <laughs> since it's the stars were really aligned. Anyway, so I, I, I did. So, so pointing out the existence of this particle was, was one of the things that uh, was missing. And then the other thing that was missing only only really uh, became clear two or three years later, which was uh, the the way the theory had been analyzed, both by Peche and Quinn, and by me, and by Steve Weinberg, who, who did similar work to what I did uh, independently. By the way, he he originally wanted to call the particle a Higlet so I say I saved the world from Higgslets, which is one of my great contributions. I feel uh, the uh, uh, the uh, uh, he graciously agreed to call it actually on the. Uh, um, uh, the other thing that that so the thing that we all did which is kind of what people did at that time without much thinking about it uh was m- minimize a potential so assume that the world is in its lowest energy state and when you do that that when you minimize the potential it's minimized at theta close very close to zero and that that's how the theory works however uh that's wrong i mean that's that's inadequate <laughs> uh, you because the world does not simply that's not the way the world works it doesn't get a command from on high minimize the potential it we understand the the universe is dynamic has a, a history a dynamics and then you really should work out the consequences of the equations in the context of that history of, in particular we now know a lot about physical cosmology. We didn't know so much then, but at that time, but that, so that's one of the reason why people did this default assumption because they didn't know what else to do. But 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 uh, but but we things were clarifying by by the early eighties, and uh, and so uh, I proposed that that we should look at the cosmology of axions and uh, how how they get produced in the Big Bang. And, so, uh, and then uh, with uh, uh, John Preskill and Mark Wise, we analyzed that quantitatively and found a, a beautiful surprise that uh, if you worked out how axions get produced in the early universe, uh, they could solve a problem in cosmology that was emerging at that time, uh, the so-called dark matter problem. Astronomers seem to have, have built up a strong case that uh, that they need a lot, need a new particle <laughs> that's very very weakly interacting, and that that forms a, a, a big fraction of the mass of the universe. In fact, it's roughly six times as much as as the mass in conventional matter. Like electrons and protons and the things we're made out of and the things you study in biology and all branches of engineering and chemistry Uh, so this dark so axions which were invented for a completely different purpose uh, just happened to uh, also potentially provide the dark matter of the universe Uh, and that's where we are today we don't we don't Really, no. We haven't yet. I mean, the both both the theory of axions, in the sense of uh, addressing this problem of uh, why time reversal is approximately true but not exactly true, and the phenomenology of uh, dark matter, have really. Prospered in the intervening years, uh, the no competitive theory has emerged really in either case for for the phenomena, and, the, and a very a wide wider range of phenomena has been studied, and all the theoretical arguments that we uh, put forward have been um, very carefully vetted, and I don't think much is maybe tailored here and there a little bit, but but really not 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 changed much, and uh, so. So there we are. So it's a very beautiful, or it's a very uh, tantalizing situation that, that we have this convergence of, of different ideas that appear very solid, uh, and now the task is to test them experimentally, if we can. Uh, axions have fairly well-defined properties, up to one parameter. It's a one-parameter theory, basically. Uh, one parameter is still a lot, unfortunately, if you have to design different experiments for different values of the parameter, and the parameter can vary over several orders of magnitude, which is the situation. but 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 people are rising to the occasion. and um, it's 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 a very uh, tantalizing process. It's also been very interesting from a uh, at a personal level because for a long time, those of us who were axion fans were kind of a voice in the wilderness people people thought the dark matter was something else that these arguments were were so recondite so uh, a- abstract and theoretical and in, you know involved things like instantons and non-perturbative QCD and you know the, the experimentalists didn't want to hear about that they liked their wimps <laughs> 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 and they were they were the you know much more kind of tangible particles that 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 were more like the things they were used to and uh but uh, as time has gone on and we've persisted <laughs> in the evangelizing and and uh and very vigorous searches for wimps both at uh at the l h c and at um, and in astronomy from different, many different means and uh, and specialized detectors that, that were very sensitive, the, the, they've all come up empty. And so the, the, the window hasn't completely closed, but uh, a lot of the glamour and hope <laughs> uh, hope of WIMPs in the early that, that people had uh, has faded. And so, and uh, axions are now expanding to fill the void. Now, if you, it's funny if you if you look at the citations for the early papers, they kind of dribbled along at a few yeah. per year. And now it's, it's it's like a hockey stick that's risen. Where um, it's it's uh, depending on the paper. There are many papers now that have hundreds or thousands, or close to a thousand citations per year. Well, may, well several hundred for sure, maybe, called, uh, and, and rising. So it's amazing. And, I don't know how long that's sustainable without actually finding the particle that we can, and actually finding the particle that might go back down again eventually. But, but uh, that's the situation now. It's very, very, very
0: exciting. I I think it's interesting that you uh, kind of consider yourself an outlier with working with axions for a long time because sometimes even when I give talks about axions, people are still looking at me like the soap. (laughs) (laughs) I have to to explain. Yeah, well, Um, well,
1: believe me, it used to be a lot worse, and uh, you know now there are regular international conferences, very well attended ones on axions, as I said. But by physics standards, getting hundreds of citations per year for old papers is is very rare all
0: right, all right. <laughs> um so uh there's a lot of talk about specifically the qcd axion which you yes said. but there's also axion like particle search like a lot of time with looking for specifically only a dark matter candidate that doesn't necessarily solve the right. Peccei-Quinn symmetry um how do you feel about those experiments i've always thought that those seem a little bit odd to be looking for in a parameter space that is not specifically in the qcd axion space well
1: it's less promising for sure Mm -hmm. because it's it's lacking one of the main motivations for it and uh, when you (laughs) when you have uh theoretical proposals that uh introduce more parameters than than you need to fit it's kind of weak (laughs) so uh the uh it's much better to have uh, fewer parameters than, you know, to, to, to uh, and I did, you know, and I would say that, um, you know, the theory of axions is basically a one-parameter theory, but it's solving very serious problems uh, all at once. And so that that's, so the QCD, so-called QCD axion is very well motivated. And, uh, let me put it this way. Is a much better way to put it. We can put it short. Shortly, <laughs> uh, in the case of the QCD axion, if you don't find it, that's also very interesting. <laughs> That'll have a big impact. In the case of these other things, if you don't find it, well, okay, that's uh, life goes on. No big deal. The uh, no, the uh, uh, yeah, but but I, I I'm you know I'm happy to lend the name to. <laughs> to other things, because th- these particles do have certain commonalities with the axion. Typically, I mean, and people, uh, I find it touching that people want to uh, uh, tap into the glory, the uh, the uh, the reputational glory of axions to uh, la- use it as a label for their proposals, uh, and uh, but. I, I, well, I'm just babbling at this point, but yeah, that, that's it. uh, I. I it, it, it's worth, you know, definitely we do, we don't know what the dark matter is. It may be more than one thing, and exploring new regions of parameter space that uh, that haven't been explored is, you know, it's, it's a spur to experiments, and, and you never surprises might turn up. So, but, so it's uh, I don't want to discourage that kind of activity, but it's not comparable in my mind to looking for the actual axion. Oh, maybe in this line I should name, main mention one more thing that's not speculative and uh, has been actually quite fruitful. You can look for elementary particles, new elementary particles that have something in common with the axion, but another direction is to look for realizations of the basic ideas and equations of axion theory. But with different interpretation of the symbols and different values of the numbers, uh, to find what what I'd call emergent axions in in, in, uh, in material systems in condensed matter, uh, and that's been very fruitful. Very pretty stuff has come out of that. So those are axion-like emergent particles that are quite real. This is not not cosmological speculation, but but. Uh, Real, real experiments on real materials, uh, something called topological insulators is highly related to the uh, equations of axion physics. In fact, I wrote a paper called uh, Two Applications of Axion Electrodynamics which basically anticipated a lot of the main properties of topological insulators already many years before they, uh, they be, were discovered and became popular so it's been a fruitful thing to think about and
2: uh
1: yeah in general one of the nice things about axions is because because they're different they've they've inspired a lot of creative thoughts that uh won't necessarily result in discovering the actual axion or be relevant to the original problems it was meant to address but uh are of interest in themselves, got new kinds of experimental techniques, new kinds of uh, emergent particles in condensed matter, new kinds of materials that people are exploring. It's it's been really having a tough, well motivated problem for people to work on is is a
0: great thing. Kind of like what is elegance of in each piece of equation? What would you say is kind of a fun question? uh, What would you say is the most beautiful equation? (laughs)
1: the most beautiful equation. Uh, Gosh, well, you know, it's it's not a linear scale of beauty in (laughs) equations. Different equations are beautiful in different ways. I mean, a standard one in uh, that that in mathematics that is, you know, it's hard to compete with is uh, e to the i pi plus one equals zero (laughs) because it brings in E, it brings in I, it brings in pi. and somehow from all these uh, quantities that are not immediately <laughs> obvious and have a long history and people that people struggle to discover and even to accept in some cases, you put them all together. In a very natural way, and they turn out to be one or minus one. You know, so that's that's, that's that's an extraordinary thing. Uh, so that's in that's in pure mathematics. Uh, in, in physics, I guess if you had to say, call it, talk about one one equation it, it would be uh, uh, the l equals square root of gr <laughs> where there's the equation that, that uh, underlies the general theory of relativity you can state it in as I just did in terms of the Lagrangian density that's uh, it's just almost laughably simple and of course that is not a true indication, as as Feynman emphasized, you can put all the equations of the world into one equation, U equals zero, where U is the unworldliness, <laughs> and you do things like the unworldliness of Newton's laws of motion is um, is F minus MA squared, and you get the idea you just keep adding everything up and put all of it equal to zero and has all the equations and, and is very elegant you write it down. But but the, the this equation for general relativity is not like that. The, the symbols are very natural and you unpack it and all the information is there. You don't it's not uh, it's not it's not a fake. It's sort of, uh, so that that's very beautiful. Um, um but but It's it's you know it's it's not different in kind from other beautiful equations like Maxwell's equations or, the, or the equations of, of the core theory. Uh, it's just maybe the most beautiful if you have to take take one. <laughs> the, the, uh, but I, uh, another very beautiful equation is. Uh, I just picked front from a different subject is uh, it's not it's not really even an equation but there's a specific expression you can write down uh, a Gödel's expression that that captures the uh, incompleteness theorem that's that so it's a statement it's in fact, well, in fact, it is an equation. It's an equation in arithmetic <laughs> when you spell it all out. But uh, it, in the interpretation, it, it means that uh, it's 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 a statement that uh, I cannot be proved, or uh, and uh, so it's a statement that if if the logical system is that is expressed in is consistent. Uh, then it, it can't be proved, but, but it's true. <laughs> so so that, that's the essence. of the, So that, that goes pretty deep. Uh, but probably the most beautiful equation is one we haven't found yet. Awesome. Brings in even more ideas. And in a, in a way, that's the goal of physics, which is of a certain kind of physics, is to make the ultimate description of the world more and more compact and have uh, principles that when you unfold them have more and more consequences. We've so tried to boil things down to, and boil them down and boil them down. And
0: had remarkable success in doing that. And, uh, yeah. yeah, so... Um, kind of talking about these these systems that can't be proved or even emergent behavior that comes from very simple behaviors yeah. um, I've heard that you've begun foraying into a lot of biology into some neuroscience well I've always
1: been interested in, mm-hmm. in neuroscience. in fact when i was when i st- when I was starting as an undergraduate that's what I intended to uh, to study uh, but I, but it i uh, you know I discovered that I really liked mathematics did not like laboratory work <laughs> and so I kept looking and, and, and at that time uh, I didn't feel neuroscience or was it uh, you know my ideas were quite uh, vague uh, but I, it was some, some something to do I wanted to figure out how minds worked so some, some bit of neuroscience a bit of philosophy a bit, a bit of uh, mathematics. But, but, I wanted to do but but anyway, the subject wasn't ripe, I felt, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. and so I looked around and eventually, by a uh, kind of very contingent historical process, got into physics <laughs> and I'm not sorry, it's this worked out pretty well the uh, and I' really enjoyed it, but the uh, but I but I've always kept contact with that stuff so I and not just at a scientific American level, but really, a, I, I'd say uh, with a little bit of uh, preparation, I could probably pass general exam, you know, to <laughs> be, 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 a, uh, be able to, to launch into a PhD program at a serious <laughs> university in and, and, uh in, in neuroscience or, or other parts of biology, I, I've done a lot. I've I have done and continue to do uh, a lot of reading there and thinking. But uh, I'm sorry. What was the original question? <laughs> you kind of got, gone off. Of it. Yeah, that's okay. The um,
0: computation computational irreducibility.
1: Oh, what I, oh, what, yeah. I what I uh, I. I've gone off in these directions, so, so I just wanted to say this. it's not uh, it's not a new thing. It's not it's not a sign of senility, or uh, it's it's or if if so, it's been a long lasting process. <laughs> the, uh, uh, the, the but what's happened in the intervening years is that the subjects that I thought were not ripe. Mm. The, possibility of understanding mind in a really profound way that's mathematically based and, uh, and yet also reality based uh, yeah. has has become much more imaginable, much more imaginable and uh, so it's so I, I'm and I mean, the other thing that's changed is that I'm not a lowly undergraduate anymore, so I can <laughs> I can command command resources and get help and things. So, so yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of interested in going back to to, to those to those first loves and uh, and I've uh, I've been, I've been doing you know kind of serious long term investment in. Learning, uh, learning at a at a nitty-gritty level uh, especially about uh, recent developments in machine learning and um, as as well as uh you know I I keep up at the level of reading the news and views and things like that in nature <laughs> with with what's going on in neuroscience and the other thing you know now that I, now that I'm a grown up and have some uh, dignity or reputation, whatever you want to call, it. I I can call up leading re- figures in the field and get them to talk to me and get you know, get a <laughs> sense of what <laughs> what's going on and what I should what, what I should look into. Yeah. But,
0: do you think that uh, biological systems are computationally irreducible, or do you think that there should be some kind of analytical oh. solution for a theory of mind?
1: Well, solution is too much, but but mm-hmm. I do think that there are profound organizing principles ready wait, waiting to be discovered. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, and the reason I think that is very concrete. Uh, if well. It, it's, in fact, there are several reasons, but we're all uh, related in spirit, which is that the difference between humans, and uh, which have clearly a uh, level of mind that, that's interesting <laughs> and, uh, and qualitatively different from our uh, apish ancestors, at the genetic level, is quite small, right. and so there has to be some parameter you can dial just a little bit to get from from uh, from from them to us, and uh, also the architecture of the brain contains many many repetitions of a, of a kind of simple design six layers and, and uh, mini columns and things like this. And so, so, and in some ways, the most salient difference between, it seems, between, uh, or a, a salient difference, and probably uh, at some level, the salient difference between the, the apes, which have a, a certainly a relatively primitive mind, and, and humans that have a much richer mind is that our brains are bigger. They just have more copies of these things. <laughs> and so the great principle of how you use many copies to do more stuff, I feel might be quite uh, deep and profound, but not complicated. That's once you find it. Uh, and it also points in interesting directions because... And by the way, that's kind of, I mean, it's not unrelated to what people have discovered in neural nets, which is that uh, it was the, the same, the, the basic ideas were already in place in the 1980s, and if, with a little broader conception of what the basic ideas are, they go back even further than that, the, uh, uh, what made the difference is just having not enough processing power. information gathering power not in humans of course we gather information by vision and things like that but but uh, the computers at present don't do that but but you just give them the the information in a form they can understand and they digest it and, and that's been using neural nets which were inspired by the brain of course they're very different in, in, in detail but, but but at some level they probably have quite a bit in common at, in, in principles. Uh, so anyway, so I, I'm kind of rambling, but, but the idea is um, that I think there's a, there is a great opportunity there to find an organizing principle. Uh, and there have been deep discoveries in uh, biology that, that have a lot of universality. Certainly, you know, the, the whole story of molecular biology, the, the prominence of DNA and RNA as a messenger and things like this. And, and the cell cycle now is also uh, very much elucidated and metabolism is very much delus- elucidated. Uh, metabolism is kind of ugly, but all right, that that took a long time to evolve. So maybe, maybe <laughs> that's harder, probably. Uh, the uh, um, But... Uh, but so so there are uh, sort of existence proofs for uh, great organizing principles that aren't that complicated in biology. Now, th- there are certainly many things that are contingent, too. Yeah. Why do we have five fingers and not four or six are probably, probably contingent? And why, uh, you know, why we know for sure why... why uh, why the 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 land on earth is not ruled by dinosaurs was highly contingent <laughs> 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 and things might have been quite different uh, except that uh, an asteroid or meteor crashed into the earth and uh and so now we just have birds not, not uh, anyway the... they the, uh so, so many. So, I don't think there'll be a, a theory of everything in biology, for that matter. I don't really think there's a theory of everything in physics, or ever will be. But uh, the, uh, but there can be great generalizations. And I think at least one great generalization is yet to come.
0: <laughs> so, so that's interesting. <laughs> I, I feel like it's not very common for I don't know if I've ever heard a theorist say that I don't think there's going to be a, a single uh, unified theory or a uh, a theory of everything, because I feel like that's kind of the the ultimate goal that so many of us have marched for for so long. Well,
1: maybe it's I think partly a matter of semantics. Uh, I I like much better than a theory of everything. I liked Steve Weinberg's phrase, which is a final theory. So uh, now a final theory. <laughs> If you think about what a final theory means, it means that uh you don't you stop looking for a better theory <laughs> <laughs> so that could happen in different ways uh the optimistic way is that you find a theoretical framework that is uh beautiful in some some tangible way in some widely perceived way uh that's very difficult to change without wrecking it. And that's that explains a lot about how the world works when you spell it out. Uh, that I think is possible. It's possible we'll get there. We're, we've Gotten a long, long way along that road already. Yeah. Remarkably, if you yeah. if you think about uh, the kinds of speculations that the ancient Greek philosophers had, or even that Isaac Newton had, or even or even James Clerk Maxwell had, you know things have come a long, long way. Or even you know even Einstein, uh, you know, he had vague ideas about a unified theory, but now we we've, we've really made big steps in that direction with numbers and facts and the, the um, uh, so, so I don't I think it's conceivable will will reach a, uh, a final theory in that sense. It may even be that string theory will be a final theory in that sense. It, I hasten to add that it's not there yet, by any means. Uh, no one no one has derived even a single a significant empirical consequence from
2: it, so, and,
1: uh, or or demonstrated at any but the most most hand waving uh, level how it could give the parts of physics we already know about. That <laughs> so uh, so I don't I, I I don't accept that it's. Even a candidate theory; it hasn't earned the status of the candidate theory of everything yet. But but it might. In the the, the, uh, uh, the so that but they that's the optimistic way. Is that uh, or, or I shouldn't say theory of everything. Final theory. Theory of everything. We'll come back to that. Will never happen. The uh, the, uh, uh, the the the. Uh, but. Uh, the, the the pessimistic scenario is that people that you'll have a final theory because people just you know we have a, a really really good theory that 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 explains a lot that's and that people just but not everything there are loose ends here and there it's not as beautiful as it could be but it it just gets, uh, people get tired of it. You know, they, 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 they are, are trying to improve it they, because it's, it's already, it already covers a vast range of phenomena, the phenomena that it might not explain. You have to, you have to go to very extreme conditions to set up like, you know, bigger and bigger accelerators and people say, oh, it's just not worth the money. It's not worth the time. Who cares? <laughs> that's, that's, that's another way you could have a final theory and, uh, that's also, I'm afraid, not unrealistic. That, 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 that things could happen that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, but but in any case, a final theory I think could happen, and we may even be approaching it uh, by one, either one of those two routes. <laughs> but uh, uh, but uh, but they, it won't be a theory of everything if you could achieve that. Clearly, it's not a theory of everything. It's not a theory of love or human harmony or war. Or bring it a little more down to earth. It's not a theory of how you make minds, what how minds work. You know, very very striking phenomena in the world that we'd like uh, uh, would not be even advanced, let alone solved by so-called theory of everything. It's not. It's not a theory of everything. It's a theory. It's a very, very specialized uh, aspiration to get to get a theory that people either don't think they can improve or don't care about improving. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah.
0: So we talked about with biology how it's a lot of it is just kind of stacks of copies on top of one another over and over again, and uh, we've also talked about how kind of in the standard model it's difficult to take all of these fundamental ideas and say i don't know lead lead collisions isn't going to be easily predicted by the standard model it's a it's a much more emergent behavior do you think that there's something uh kind of that these two could grow together i know there's been a rise in computational physics theories where um you have this idea of taking multiple stacks and stacks of some kind of simple rule or some kind of basic physics principle and then using that as a kind of way to build up a a final theory or or unified theory? Well,
1: it's conceivable, I guess, that uh, we'll have a final theory that looks very, very different from the kinds of theories that have been so successful in physics so far. Uh, Things like that have happened in the past. Of course, uh, we had extraordinarily successful uh, framework from Newton of particles and and forces between particles that was, you know, predicted many, many things quantitatively with extreme success, but then started to show seams (laughs) in the 19th century and and gave way to field theory, which uh, is, you know, has introduced... A host of new ideas, none of which were, I would say, in conflict with the Newtonian framework, but certainly required additions. Uh, then, uh, and that was very successful, electromagnetism. And everything. Uh, but then that got re- that got replaced by quite a different theory that was really profoundly different. I mean well first of all there' there's the relativity theories, which uh I would say are not profoundly different they they really are in the spirit of field theory of electromagnetism and, uh, they introduce a host of new ideas but but I wouldn't say they' required to unlearn anything really uh, whereas quantum mechanics really was very profoundly different uh and uh, it's amazing that you can have such a successful theory as pre-quantum physics that explains so much. Uh, that is profoundly misguided <laughs> in some sense, right? As, <laughs> as the the real the real story, when you go one level deeper, is quite different. And in fact, it's a very Challenging problem that people are still working on to show how classical physics and the classical world emerges from the quantum world, which we think is more accurate. In, uh, in so, it's, so based on all that, it's conceivable to me that uh, that the present formulation of physics, which is based on continuum, space time, and uh, you know real numbers and con- and quantum fields and all this stuff uh, that that would be replaced by something different you know something that's more digital like you know, a cellular automata or something it's conceivable but boy <laughs> it's, it it's a tough tough thing to con it's, it's let me put it this way it's not conceivable by me i don't know how to con- i don't know how to, to do that I, I played with it you know tried to Tried to give it a chance, but you, it, it's just, it doesn't, uh, it's not easy you, because, you know, we, even to do basic things like implement conservation laws, implement symmetries, which are profound, have been profoundly fruitful guiding principles in, in getting to our understanding of physics and are embedded in, uh, in, uh, in our best models of the world you have to sweat blood and tears to get them and, and it looks very ugly to implement them in these other frameworks so uh, seems tough <laughs> but but there might be okay but but like in the case of quantum mechanics it was not it didn't discard classical physics it it, it you know you still have p's and q's momenta and and uh and positions but they just don't commute so well, <laughs> you have a, di- but but you also have a different framework. You have Hilbert space, and uh, if a sufficiently profound modification might involve a synthesis of of different ideas. So, for instance, I mean specifically, an idea that I have a lot of sympathy for is that uh, there's an atomic structure to space time. That space time itself is made out of some kind of particle, roughly speaking, but then you have to say, what are the laws for those particles? And I think those par- those laws, I think, will, it's very hard for me to imagine that they will resemble the laws of simple computer programs for cellular automata. They're much, to me, much more likely to obey a different set of ideas that are more related to quantum mechanics as we know it.
0: You know. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. so what what would you say are some of the most promising areas of physics then
1: well in fundamental physics in the sense of discovering new laws and things that aren't implicit in the laws we already know at at some level I think axions and dark matter Mm -hmm. uh, I also think uh, we have uh, very compelling numerical evidence based on unification of couplings, that there should be supersymmetry in in the um, basic principles of physics. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, some people jumped the gun and said that supersymmetry has to show up at the LHC. The real quantitative evidence from unification of couplings, unfortunately, is on a logarithmic scale, so it's very difficult to uh, to say that the scale should be one TeV versus a hundred TeV. Uh, the calculations will still happily accommodate supersymmetry at a higher scale, slightly higher scale, which is. Uh, Easy for theorists to write down, <laughs> it, but very difficult to access, very expensive to access experimentally. So, But, okay, and, and in a similar vein, uh, proton decay, uh, our best ideas about unification, certainly uh, point to the, the instability of protons at levels not so different <laughs> from, <laughs> from the current limits. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in fact... I expected proton decay to be discovered quite a while ago. It hasn't been, but again, it's one of these things where unfortunately uh, a small difference in the theoretical uh, calculations can make a big difference experimentally, because <laughs> you know, in that case it goes like the fourth power of the unification scale, and so that's or, and also in, in, in other models it depends on the details of how supersymmetry is broken and so so yeah so we don't uh, but but it's very very difficult to push the, the theoretical predictions far beyond the current experimental limits so that's I think that's an important direction to uh, to look at for fundamental physics and then there are purely theoretical things and uh, that's uh, that's harder, without the discipline. So it's harder to put your finger on what uh, what the point is, or what. what so I'm not going you know, <laughs> to. I wish my string theory friends good luck, <laughs> but I don't. You know, I, don't, uh, I can't point to anything specific that that, uh, that, uh, that should be the focus there. Uh, the, uh, but but to me the and. and I, There are other kinds of physics, you might call them emergent physics or applied physics, Mm -hmm. depending on your mood, or or, uh, uh, that uh, present extraordinary opportunities that have really been revolutionized by the the, uh, power of computers to to do numerical experiments, if you like. uh, and, And then so you can... You can have wild ideas and test them numerically and then hopefully also test them in the real world uh, once you refine them. Uh, and uh, that, that's, a, that's kind of a two-way street. On the one hand, physics can suggest new, new technologies. In particular, I think maybe the most vibrant area, but but there there are many vibrant areas, but maybe the most vibrant area that's on a broad front is people are becoming much more sophisticated about using deep principles of quantum mechanics to design new kinds of sensors Mm -hmm. that exploit things like uh,
2: uh,
1: tunneling and coherence and, and entanglement to make... Uh, more refined kind of sensors, new kinds of uh, instruments that that allow you to see things that you couldn't see before or or didn't even think about before, but the technology poses questions of how you probe entanglement and things like that. Uh, So so, uh, technology can drive physics and physics can drive technology. And and in, in the case of computation, as I mentioned, com- computation allows you to do numerical experiments in the broad sense, including uh, trying to build uh, protons <laughs> from from pure numbers, <laughs> and that's uh, that's actually been quite successful, uh, extraordinarily successful. I never, I never, I didn't see that coming, even though you know I was instrumental in getting the equations to to see them solved in that way. It just uh, came complete surprise to me and uh the uh but 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 you know the whole world of chemistry and lies open in principle we know what the equations are
2: Mm
1: -hmm. compute compute (laughs) do it go Right. uh, right and you know and and the world is waiting for new materials new New uh, catalysts, new drugs, all kinds of th- new things. That that yeah. okay. So here you've got the equation. Let's do it, right? <laughs> so that that that's an extraordinary thing, and and it could be that we need quantum computers to do that. Computers that really use mm-hmm. the deep principles of quantum mechanics. And it's very exciting. We could be facing a very different material world in uh, twenty or fifty years, thank you, yeah. thanks to these developments. Uh, yeah, and and it's intellectually rich. Also, I mean, I of course, you know, I'm what I know the most about, and what I'm most pleased with is the parts that I participated in, and it has been a real thrill to see anyons discovered
2: in, in a in
1: a clear way in the in, in the last couple of years, and start to become a a useful tool possibly for technology. This whole uh, whole field of uh, Topological quantum computing that is based on anyon, and but then there are also the 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 underlying ideas have played a very important role in setting up uh, what's called toric codes and schemes for error correction
2: on, on, in,
1: that we'll really need in quantum computers unless someone well unless the topological quantum computation really works then you won't need the error correction <laughs> but if the uh, uh, but the the, the toric codes are kind of a way of getting topological computation without getting co- without having the anyons but but the anyon ideas are still what drives it uh so 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 that's you know I'm really happy with that and, and it's, it it's you know and I, it started as a complete just curiosity Well, originally about cosmic strings and their properties, but then, <laughs> but then uh, take a slice of it, you get two-dimensional materials and, and, uh, the, 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 and, and, and odd properties that really, you know, have a, a striking appeal to a physicist because to a theoretical physicist because they overthrow conventional wisdom. You know, people thought you could have only bosons and fermions for a long, long time. <laughs> and uh the idea that that there are other possibilities was was quite entertaining and then again it's come become as come really as a complete surprise to me that that they might have some use well not a complete i mean a surprise not a shock i mean anything that's Buildable at a at a reasonable price could have some use, but I, I didn't certainly didn't have a, the, the the concept that they could be used for uh, information processing, and in, uh, yeah, or even initially that they could be realized in actual materials, but but that came pretty quickly.
0: Yeah, it's it's funny that you mentioned these these new uh, types of materials and kind of deep use of quantum mechanics because yeah. uh, on another one of our episodes we actually had someone, uh, Deblina Sakar, who works in uh-huh. neuroscience, uh-huh. developing sensors that take advantage of quantum mechanical tunneling uh-huh. and yeah. using that for for new yeah. types of neuroscience sensors. So yeah. that's that's kind of exciting. Um, I also need to say as someone who designs a lot of the magnets. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't describe supersymmetry as a, a as a low hanging fruit by any means.
1: Did I talk about? that? I? No, no, super, no. Of course not. I mean, you have You well, not only the Magnus, but the whole enterprise of big accelerators is extraordinary. Extraordinary uh, convergence of of all kinds of of insights into the world physics ranging from magnet design to mm-hmm. to detector design with fast electronics and vast amounts of uh computation to analyze the results some of which uses neural nets but. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah i mean it's it's uh, it's our civilization's answer to the pyramids but <laughs> but much much better because it's more useful than a big it's pyramid awesome. in our backyard. It's 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 driven by more laudable goals, I think, yeah.
2: uh, but,
1: and also it's not. Well, it involves graduate students, but not not slave labor. As well. <laughs> 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 um,
0: but I, I guess my point was is that with supersymmetry being so difficult, but you were also talking to fine but you were also talking about how. Uh, in biology. In oh, these are ripe for the taking. Do you think there's any kind of like very ripe low hanging fruit left in physics? Or do you think uh, we're Oh, I see what you mean of, by yeah, Okay, so it higher. depends
1: what you mean by low hanging there. Mm-hmm. So there are ideas that seem very ripe. So very ripe fruit. Now, mm-hmm. uh, low hanging is, I guess, <laughs> is uh, it depends on, on how how big a ladder you give yourself, <laughs> the, uh, but uh, uh, what I uh, what I took to be low hanging is things that we sort of know how to get to, and it's just a matter of expense and or, or dedication. Uh, you know, the, the really low hanging fruit. I guess the model is that that some lone genius in a loft somewhere uh, has a bright idea and. Uh, and people say, oh my gosh, how did I not think of that? Uh and 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 do the experiment the next day, or maybe the person doesn't even does the experiment himself or does not need an experiment. It's just so obviously true. And uh things like that can happen. Uh, I would say, yeah, you know, something like that happened with uh with inflation, you know. It's a really great idea. Mm-hmm that wasn't there one day and was there the next day <laughs> and, <laughs> and in retrospect it, in the a lot the, the basic um, the, you know everything you needed was there i kind of i regret to this day that i didn't think of it but uh they uh, so so it can happen it's very difficult to anticipate because low hanging fruit these days with so many physicists around the world and bright people doesn't doesn't uh doesn't usually doesn't go unpicked for very long (laughs) Uh, um, and if i if i knew something like that i wouldn't be telling you i'd be doing it you know (laughs) but uh so i but i can tell you that there's the first category of low-hanging fruit is where you a much much uh more Inclusive definition, which is, is at least you know how to do it and so, uh, uh, the other kind of the unpredictable low hanging fruit that might be uh, low in the sense that a single person could 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 grab it in, in one go is very difficult to, to know in advance clearly it gets harder and harder as more uh, as as our sophistication increases but i you know well not in well even in fundamental physics for instance i mean famously or infamously uh string theory which is very serious enterprise and uh, may well contain the ideas that will lead to a final theory uh doesn't really have a uh, a formulation <laughs> it's, it's called a theory as if there's a theory but it's not it's 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 really a grab bag of ideas that uh, have a certain inner coherence but you i don't know what the question is to which string theory is the answer it doesn't have anything comparable to uh gauge symmetry or uh, The principles of general covariance and general relativity, or even Mm. even things like chirality, or
2: it
1: it it doesn't have a leading principle that organized and no one and you can't write down what the equation is. There's no equation to which it's the solution that uh, people. uh, So so maybe people, someone, some person, some bright person will uh, will figure out what the missing principle is and. then this grab bag of ideas maybe transformed in some way, maybe added to, uh, suddenly will become much more usable and much more predictive, and so so that's it's conceivable. But uh, you know, it's been a, it's been a while, and <laughs> that that hasn't happened, and uh, so can't be too easy. Well. I don't know. I mean, it's hard to tell. Yeah, it's hard.
0: <laughs> so, so do you think uh, a good theory has to fit on a t-shirt like the standard model compared to kind of being uh, a No, uh,
1: not necessarily, mm-hmm. but, but uh, that's – historically, that's often been the product of uh, – of this process of trying to boil things down and get the logical principles clear. And uh, and in physics, that's certainly been the ideal for a long, long time and has been a very fruitful ideal. Uh, But the world doesn't necessarily have to cooperate. It could be things things you could have... uh, a thought experiment that I, I, I often regress to <laughs> is uh, I think it's very plausible that uh, you could and maybe someday thousands of years from now people will <laughs> be able to uh, create worlds inside computers that contain intelligent Intelligences that uh, that don't know necessarily that they're inside a computer or don't think about themselves that way, but the, these entities uh, would live in a world that whose laws are programmed, right? they, not given by God or Plato or whatever that, that as as a, uh, uh, as a as a as a, in the form of elegant equations that involve continua and so. Uh, but as a program that somebody wrote. And they could look very inelegant. They could look, uh, I mean, most programs are inelegant. They have to deal with all kinds of contingencies and, and, and exceptions and things. And, uh, uh, and then, you know, if, if such an entity tried to figure out the laws of their world, they would not be able to find a concise description. They would find more and more things you know that different laws apply to different levels of the game if it's a super Mario world for instance, <laughs> and, and, uh, uh, but each one has its laws but but uh, there's no way of getting unified description really uh. Except by making a really fanciful theory that oh we're, maybe we're inside a computer and there's there's uh, there's these guys who, who obey the laws of general relativity and quantum mechanics and they've programmed us, but but that that wouldn't that would be a highly speculative theory <laughs> <laughs> and, and a co- and a kind of useless one. Right?
0: <laughs> so I mean. I guess kinda of the obvious question from that is do you ever feel that way with us that no are no. no
1: I thought I mean I know I mean I know you know that, that that's been a, a popular
0: science idea or trope. joke yeah. or I mean, well
1: some people pretend to believe in it. I don't know if they I mean it's uh but and I I you know it's 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 interesting enough to be taken seriously, but I mm. think if you take it seriously it kinda doesn't doesn't uh doesn't really hold up very well, because, I mean, the two, well, first of all, there's the zeroth order question, okay, if, if we are, uh, if the world as we see it, as we experience it, uh, I'm, of course, going to trust that I experience things roughly in the same way as you do, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but uh, the, uh, that, that that it's all an illusion that we're really inside a computer and just seeing electronic input from something. It beg or it begs the whole question of what's the computer made out of, and mm-hmm. you know, what, uh, and um, and then there's internal evidence that I mean, it, to implement the way the world works according to our understanding of basic physics, you, you use continua, uh, you use uh, a lot of hidden complexity. A proton is actually a very complex object, and yet you choose to build human beings out of that. That's very poor programming practice <laughs> to make to to, uh, to build in all this complexity that you don't use at all. And and also there are many opportunities. You know, there's if you're doing a computer program, there's no reason to make the laws local. That's you know, there's no reason to. Uh, forbid time travel and so you know there are many things you could you could be much more creative than than than, than the very constraining laws of physics we have so i, I just don't think it's at all plausible for, um,
0: you know. i mean i do like the image of a of a computer programmer getting writing down all of these laws and then someone saying, oh i accidentally set theta to the zero and now, they're, now they're looking for an axion what have i done um, but uh I, I I've thought about this question before too, and I've always kind of thought like, does it really matter? I mean, does it matter if the equations were written by God or by Steve, the computer programmer at at his house, and just kind of made us? Because it's still, I mean, it wouldn't really make a difference to me.
1: Well, if you believe in the computer metaphor, it suggests kind of, it suggests questions that, that that then you can address experimentally. Uh, computers, we know. Well, the problem is that that the most obvious experiments show you the idea (laughs) is (laughs) wrong. The uh, the uh, uh, you would not expect the laws, you know, in in such a realization, you would not not expect the laws to be based on continua. You would not expect them to uh, to have uh, a lot of hidden complexity. But okay, there are other things you could look for. You could look for, uh, I mean, well, you would not. I could go on about things you would not expect. But but the uh, uh, that that we do see. But but you could also look for things that uh, are characteristic of computers, like uh, maybe there's there's a transistor that blew, <laughs> and so you get uh, you get errors. <laughs> Where. Okay, where are the errors?
0: I don't know. I feel like I've been in some <laughs> errors sometimes. <laughs>
1: you know, do you, do you see a pixel somewhere that's 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 not functioning? That's yeah. That's, <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah. yeah.
2: Okay.
0: <laughs> that, I mean, that's, that's true. But I mean. <laughs> Uh, to play devil's advocate, you can always say like, "Oh, these are what all these ghost sightings are." That's what. That's uh, what. That's what all these ghost sightings are. UFO. <laughs> they're, they're all just just glitches in the matrix. Okay. But, yeah. Sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so I mean, in you know, in all these cases, physics is obviously a very important part of your life. Why is science so important to you? Um, was there something when you were growing up, or did it just kind of you just thought it was cool and did it?
1: well some combination of those two i uh, i have i think i've had a very natural propensity towards uh thinking logically and also thinking big <laughs> fact, you know what does it all mean and and, uh, and trying to make big numbers and think logically and solve puzzles i always always, always have loved solving puzzles and uh, still do and uh the but it also, I think, you know that that kind of propensity was very much nurtured by my parents and my
2: the,
1: the, the society I was I found myself embedded in as a child. Uh, I grew up during the Cold War, when uh, people thought, I think it was widely thought, but uh, but also by people with power was thought that. The future of the country, the security of the country, depended on science and training young people to to uh, make make new kinds of devices, new kinds of weapons, bombs, and, and, and space vehicles, and all kinds of things. And uh, the, uh, um, the uh, so it was very much encouraged in school, and then. Uh, and I went to great universities. I went to the University of Chicago and uh, and Princeton and, just, and there was a thriving scientific culture into which I could easily fit and that that's that's what happened. So.
0: One story about i think it was after world war ii where there was a bus of physics graduate students and they stopped at a diner and they all said oh you guys are nuclear physicists let's buy you lunch you, you <laughs> save the war and right, right. Kind of like, like sure I'll, I'll take the free lunch but it's not like i was on the manhattan project right um i always thought that was very funny in that in that time um but so say you had uh this kind of limitless amount of funding for example and you were kind of given the job to prioritize each of these different projects that you're interested in. Um, How do you think you would spend all of this funding? How do you think you would prioritize and reorganize?
1: Well, infinity is a very large number. (laughs) Uh,
0: Well, let's let's say arbitrarily large, but not infinite. Well, I, you know,
1: in the case of uh, Axion searches, proton decay, Uh, exoplanets is another one that that we didn't mention but is very 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 interesting uh, uh, these 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 are not limitless projects I mean uh, let me put it this way you could do a lot with a very finite fraction of the uh, wealth, the available wealth of the United States. Uh, You know, I think, if I remember correctly, our gross national product every year is $22 $22 trillion, something like that. I don't think it would be crazy to uh, invest $1 trillion (laughs) each year. And that would be ample to fund... uh, I think those initiatives in at more than adequately, in fact, yeah, it wouldn't require anywhere near that amount. Uh, So now if you want to build gigantic new accelerators, it gets, it could get serious. Uh, but even then you know they're much less than a trillion. Much less than a trillion dollars over over several years. Uh so you just got to uh so I I uh I think I think the answer is all of the above. You shouldn't do all of them. And you should you should also uh Spend more on science education, and uh, make sure that the young people who could be contributing and would like to contribute, or would just like to appreciate and have the have you know be able to uh, have the fun of uh, understanding what's going on, um, that that they should be brought to a level where they can do that, uh, have the opportunity. So. So the scientific experiments is also, you know, investing in uh, improving the internet and communications, uh, so, so as to enable uh, uh, enable that kind of worldwide uh, educational process. Uh, and but 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 of course, just building the infrastructure is not enough. You also have to uh train teachers and, and, and develop uh teaching tools to make to make that happen. So yeah. With a trillion dollars a year I, c- I could uh I could do a lot. Not that I'm volunteering to <laughs> administer but uh yeah, that we could change the world in a very, very positive way uh with that kind of investment. And I don't think it's I don't think it's a crazy thing to be asked uh, to to ask if in well, I know it's politically completely impossible in, in the yeah. present uh, situation, but if wiser people were in charge <laughs> uh, and the value of long-term investments were appreciated, I think that that would that would be a very wise one.
0: Yeah. So on on the topic of education. Uh, a lot of people will typically say, "Like, oh, I, I hate math. I I didn't know math when I was in yeah. in grade school, and it's it's kind of a problem." But a lot of the talks I've seen you give describe math using uh, pieces of art and yeah. describing symmetries. Do you think that there should be kind of a, a different way to teach math? For yes, people?
1: I do. I mean, I have some concrete ideas about that, <laughs> which, which may be wacky. I'm not certainly not an educa- uh, uh, an authority on education. I'm, uh, but uh, but. A lot of people like math without knowing it. No, not knowing that they like don't, that they like it because they they think of math as arithmetic or, or algebra, and they got confused in the early stages of algebra and sort of never recovered. <laughs> uh, but if you go to the supermarket and look, look at uh, the kinds of magazines they sell, well, they sell a lot of hidden word problems that that, that, that's not mathematics but but uh, they also sell these logic books of logic puzzles that really are mathematics there's hidden mathematics you know that that uh, are they they can be quite challenging actually it's very impressive so people do this for fun right Mm -hmm. uh and so i think people i think there should be much more stress on logic puzzles and things like that (laughs) in uh in math training, that don't don't necessarily even involve numbers, but involve working with concepts. And and I think uh, it would be very good to teach logic, both formal and informal logic, uh, as opposed to say trigonometry. Not not, that, not that there's anything wrong with trigonometry, but but you know the, uh, maybe in in the modern world, the, 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 the priority and and to be more inclusive, I think there should be other priorities uh and uh, and another in, in the in the realm of geometry I, I, one of the little joys of my adult life has been learning about uh how projective geometry is used in art to draw things because i I'm, I'm truly horrible at drawing it's unbelievably bad at drawing but with the help of basic ideas of uh perspective and making grids and so forth which is is a one is a really relaxing activity <laughs> <laughs> you can uh, you can draw things that are quite uh, striking and uh, i mean i can and 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 that i think instead of teaching euclidean geometry the way euclid did i think it'd be a really good thing to do Projective yeah. geometry and, and 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 integrate that with the study of art because uh, it's it, it, historically it was a tremendous thing in, in art when when the, that was developed what was first developed in the Renaissance and so you could be learning about that and as well, learning the techniques and and producing beautiful objects all at the same time and uh, so and and then another place where I think there could be uh, innovation is teaching more about symmetry from the very beginning mm-hmm. so yeah I think the the mathematics curriculum kind of got ossified and I but I think more logic more symmetry more uh, art mm-hmm. <laughs> specifically projective geometry would would really uh, bring more people in and get them excited and then they can fill in the trigonometry
2: right,
1: yeah. <laughs> right. So, in other words, I guess the, the overriding theme is to make things more concrete, not to demand at the very beginning levels of abstraction that kind of can discourage people if they don't get it, or just leave people cold because who cares about this? You know, who cares about solving abstract equations between between symbols, you know? <laughs> all right.
0: uh, all right. um. But so, I mean, I think that's interesting because so many people consider art and math and physics so completely separate. But you're no, no, they really haven't. That...
1: Well, historically, they certainly haven't been. Mm-hmm. Uh, projective geometry came out of, of the needs of artists and making perspective. And for instance, uh, some de- and some developments in optics were also spurred by artists and artistic needs. And photography, of course, you know there are many examples where, uh, what well, you could call it science, or you could call it art, but 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 where the opportunities opened by technology have uh, have led to new kinds of artistic expressions, and vice versa. You know, electronic music. I think there are lots of opportunities too being that are now being opened up by uh, by our better control of the world. With,
0: so, I mean, a lot of people, when they do art, is usually considered something heartfelt, something that they're trying to communicate. Where do you think that line is between uh, doing a proof using projective geometry and having some kind of actual heartfelt message thrown as... Well, art?
1: it it doesn't hurt the feelings of your heart to, to draw things that look like the actual world. <laughs> <laughs> So these are these are enhancements. I I, Mm -hmm. they're not they're not constraints. I I mean, uh, more tools uh, to use. They're tools to use. Yeah, exactly. Right. Right. uh, Uh,
0: In kind of a similar vein, what do you say about something like literature? I mean, GTP three can only take us so far in kind of writing books. (laughs) Well, but there's going to be GTP four. Yeah.
1: I'm not sure what the question is. Yeah. I so mean, yeah, literature if, is good. <laughs> I mean, if if, uh, if GTP
0: four <laughs> writes a novel, uh-huh. uh, do you think that um, you would be able to enjoy that novel as much as uh, one written by a human? Well, uh,
1: not not as GTP three is now for sure. But uh, I mean, the best the best human novels are far better than uh, than any artificial production. But I do think. You know if if you step down from the highest expressions of art to uh, expositions manuals yeah. I think maybe machines could could very much even at present be very helpful in uh, in automating that process and gosh gosh knows that uh, it needs help because a lot of instructions and manuals are very poorly written uh, and well, let me give you an example of, of what I, that, where this process is well well advanced, and it's kind of art, uh, although people usually don't think about it that way. Which is uh, games like chess and go, where you know, people cultivate and have cultivate expertise and, and have styles, and <laughs> and, and, and so they produce beautiful products. Sometimes good. the best games are really a joy to to, to go through. Uh, but now, computers are better than humans at chess. They're just better <laughs> in the sense of being able to win, <laughs> very sense, and and, and go also. Uh, however, that doesn't mean that this that that those things are no longer of interest to humans. On the contrary, some new principles have come up in studying what, what the computers produce. And you can do collaborations between human and machines that uh, that produce a better product than humans could produce alone and and, and things that bring more joy so uh, so that that's that's a kind of model it's it's not it's it's not a perfect model because you know Chess and Go are limited domains with rules that are very precise, and so art is much more open-ended. But that only that only makes the case stronger that man-machine collaborations could be, could be very very fruitful. And I, I I don't think the right attitude for an artist is to uh, put down the machines; is to it's to welcome new collaborators.
0: <laughs> yeah. so. Um, I, I feel like there's also a deep fundamental difference in that with chess and go there's there's a winner there's a very I mean kind of difficult to describe but there is a very clear kind of objective utility Yes, that's right whereas with art you can't really have like no this book wins it, well
1: you could have people vote yeah. <laughs> I mean well in a way that's that's a special case of uh, the general problem of of machine learning which is you have to say what the goal is and, right. and you know in supervised learning you you explicitly say this this is a cat, this is not a cat oh, not a or, or you know, whatever yeah. the, um, so you make it into something that has a definite goal uh, and the, the whole art wasn't figuring out or is, it's still developing figuring out what the goals should be right. uh, in There's a certain amount of arbitrariness in that so it's not it's not a rule based game right is 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 a is a three legged uh, feline a cat is uh is a puma a cat <laughs> <laughs> i don't know. you know you have to just, uh, or you know is an ostrich a bird i don't you know i don't uh, it's a pterodactyl word. I don't. No, but you. Uh, uh, the. Uh, but you could. You could. You know, it would be arbitrary. But you could set parameters. You could. You p- could propose, artistic objects, to an audience and have them vote on which ones they like. And in fact, I something like. I mean, that's a parody. But but I think you. Something like that will have to uh, be part of the process of having machines produce artistic products. They will have to, at least at first, until there's an audience of AIs. They will they will have to uh, somehow get into the mindset of what an audience will appreciate. That's the criterion.
0: Right? Do you have any idea what like an objective scaling of art would look like?
1: Well, you put things up for auction and see how much they. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well, I mean, like going into the
0: into the free parameters of that AI that has learned what is going for higher, what is going for lower. Do you think that there would be any kind of variable that would be in there? Any any kind of knob that you could turn to make your art objectively better or kind of manipulate that?
1: Okay, I'm not sure I understand the question, mm. but but one the great thing about Neural nets is that you know, if you just give them labeled data, <laughs> right. they figure out what what right. what what the underlying parameters is. I mean, that's a caricature, but that's the basic uh, mm-hmm. structure of it. the. Uh, so now, a more profound question, which maybe what you're getting at is, uh, should the audience? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, in the case of art. Should it really be left to the audience? <laughs> <laughs> Which audience? <laughs> right. Now, for instance, I mean, very specifically, for instance, uh, I think many of us would agree that uh, there was an efflorescence of particularly beautiful and lasting music in uh, in coming out of Vienna and that culture <laughs> or, uh Around 1800, a little bit before, and a little bit after, and then earlier uh, with with some of the church music and, and, and Bach in particular. Uh, earlier, uh, the uh, and and that was made for a very particular audience—an audience of uh, aristocrats, amateur museums, musicians who played the stuff and, and, and had a very sophisticated understanding of music. Whereas today, the audience for popu- for music is very different. And, and certainly, if you if you look at what's commercially most successful,
0: it's no longer Bach. <laughs>
1: it's no longer Bach and okay. I know this is politically incorrect to say, but it's just not as good. It's just... <laughs> by, uh, uh, it doesn't go as deep. It doesn't stand up to scrutiny. There are different layers. You can't go, you know, you can't... The more you engage it, whereas with the classical music, the more you engage it, the more you find. And, and with popular music, it tends to be just the opposite. It's, it gets exhausted. If you, if you um, uh, Then, uh, so so having the right audience can be very helpful, but mm-hmm. uh, but it doesn't have to I mean you could you could have different kinds of artistic products for different audiences. That, that's, yeah. that's, that's that's so. That's so. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, object uh, you can objectify that that some class of audience rates this higher than that but you can't really compare
0: no general intelligence for all music
1: well you can't really compare you can't say well this audience is better than that audience or, right. even though I just did <laughs> <laughs> well, you but, uh, the but uh, you didn't but, say the uh, but uh, but uh, but, uh, but you know they're both legitimate they're both Answers to legitimate questions and, and give joy to people. So, what, what more can you ask?
0: Right. So, um, speaking on different audiences, I know that you live near Walden Pond, and yeah, that you're, that you're proud of. Did you read Thoreau at all? I
1: don't know if I've don't read Thoreau a little bit in uh, in high school, and occasionally because we're embedded in Concord now, <laughs> I, I, re, I read and and. Uh, I I've enjoyed uh, some mm-hmm. of his the writings that I've read, but I haven't felt the need to get really deeply engaged. In,
0: yeah. In okay. Yeah, I was, I was just curious. I, I know. Uh, personally, I was never a huge fan of some of the Transcendentalists. So I was curious if you had a polarizing opinion on any of them. Um, well,
1: I should be very careful about what I say in view of where I live. <laughs> 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 and some members of my family uh, yeah. uh, revere these people I I I appreciate but don't revere I would say and and uh, uh, and, well the transcendental movement was a remarkable thing for its time and uh, there are some striking phrases that came out of it and striking Mm -hmm. insights so yeah it's nice (laughs) (laughs) yeah, <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, you know, to me, it's not a complete way of life.
0: Uh, mm-hmm. uh, so. I know Walt Whitman's learned astronomer gets talked about a lot. And I, too, <laughs> often to my frustration, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: well, I like Walt Whitman a lot.
0: Mm-hmm. Actually. Yeah.
1: Again, uh, well, as with anything, really, you have to. Uh, you don't necessarily have to accept everything to accept any, anything, right? Right. Yeah. There, there's always good
0: pieces and, and yeah. every every rough. Um, but so you mentioned your family. Uh, how how's your family kind of impacted your life, your career? Um, what's it like trying to have have, have children and and be a oh, well, so many this, this, different groups? This, this
1: could be a very very long discussion or very, or very short. I, I you know I, I without. Soliciting their permission, I don't want to go into uh, of course. Uh, any kind of personal details. Just to say, uh, my present family has been a joy to me you know, and a, a source of strength uh, in everything I do. Uh, going historically, of course, was, you know, I was very fortunate in my choice of parents, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, they they were very very supportive. They were not highly educated themselves, but uh, had enormous aspirations for me. And, and my father, although he was not highly educated, his whole life was learning more, and I could see that. Uh, as, uh, in, and then I was, it's not family as such, but uh, the society I was embedded in was kind of in in Queens in New York City was the mm-hmm. Society of Strivers. Uh, most most of the most of the families were first or second generation in the United States, and it was astonishing in retrospect, especially in in in, ter- in, in view of what's happening in the political scene now, that uh, the attitude wasn't resentment. But aspiration, you know that
2: okay that uh, we uh,
1: didn't certainly didn't think of uh, academics or or scientists as. Hoity-toity anti-populist <laughs> people who are looking down our nose at them. We said, "I want to be like those guys." <laughs> that's a very different and much, you know, much more appropriate and constructive attitude. That. and that's definitely the attitude that uh, I was brought up in. Mm-hmm. Thankfully,
0: yeah. <laughs> so I mean, with the. Length of your career and the different uh, achievements yeah. they have. You could be in so many different places. Um, why here at MIT and why doing what you're doing now?
1: Well, there are a family. Well, MIT is a great university and they mm-hmm. made me a fine offer. and They have very, <laughs> very supportive. Uh, you know, there aren't that many. There are very few institutions at the same kind of level in science. I came from Princeton, which is at the same level. (laughs) Uh, And and earlier than that, well, I've been at a very high level for a long time. uh, So I did have choices, but uh, the the MIT is particularly, I I find it particularly sympathetic because it's embedded in a city, in an urban environment. I, I like that. Uh, I'm a city boy. <laughs> uh, and uh um uh, and it's uh it's very it has a very diverse kind of population and it's also highly rooted in engineering. All those things I I like.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh but the main reasons frankly were personal. My, my wife's family is from New England and they, yeah. this, and they, they needed Support at some stage, and uh, uh, my daughters went to school at Harvard and MIT, and they drew us
2: in here, <laughs>
1: so that that sort of thing. It was not so. Uh, it was it was largely personal, and and, and we've uh, we've really enjoyed living in New England, and Cambridge, originally, and now here in Concord. Uh, so, and, and we have a summer place in New Hampshire. So we we put down roots here in a way that. We, i mean it could have it could have been other other places but this is this is a quite a good one and I guess there's a there's a process of spontaneous symmetry breaking and this is where we happen, <laughs> this is where we happen to land it could have been different yeah mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> okay uh well thank you very much this has been a great conversation i was I'm very happy to have you on thanks for taking the time to meet with us sure thank you it's been a pleasure yeah. Yeah.